welcome to the Scriptures Are Real podcast. This is the podcast where we talk about elements of the scriptures that have become real to us because we believe that we can draw more power out of the scriptures when they are real to us and we need all the power we can get. I'm your host, Kerry Muelstein, and today we're doing a short cast on some of the profound teachings in John chapter 5 and 6. Uh, so let me give you a kind of a bullet point list here at the beginning. What I want to say is that we're going to start to really focus in on a theme that I believe is the most uh, prevalent and important theme in the book of John. And by important, I, I'm assigning it that meaning because John seems to talk about it more than anything else. So John seems to think it's the most important theme. Uh, and yet it, I'm surprised at how often it doesn't get a lot of airtime. And as I hear uh, other people teach and talk about John that, that this doesn't seem to get the attention that I think John is giving it. So, and I think it's incredibly important. And we're going to start to highlight it today. And then you'll see us coming back to it again and again and again. I'm sure I'm going to do a number of shortcasts. Sometimes I'll just uh, do a quick shortcast uh, that will say, look at this theme again here and explore it. So, we're going to talk about that theme, the theme of the relationship of the Father and the Son. Uh, with that, we're going to also talk about the, uh, the Bread of Life sermon, the Savior's response. Um, to his accusers when he heals the man at the pool of Bethesda, and uh, what all of this has to do with us. So let's jump in and talk about this. I will say that we're going to start in John 5, and I'm not going to do the story of the man who's healed at the pool of Bethesda, uh, because I'm doing that in a separate podcast uh, with uh, a former student of mine, and I'm really pleased. I've already recorded that. Uh, I'm really pleased with how it uh, turned out. She uh, really got me thinking and uh, about some ways that that applies to, to me and I think to everyone in, in ways that I haven't thought of. And, and I shared some stories that uh, uh, I, I, I really felt would be very meaningful for a number of people. Uh, and uh, I, it ended up being uh, an episode that I enjoyed a lot. So we'll talk about, we are, I'm not going to talk about that one here, uh, but I do want to talk about the response that happens afterwards. So you'll notice at the end of that story, when uh, he is made whole and he picks up his bed and walks, it just says at the end, we're in John chapter five, uh, verse nine, it just kind of throws in and the same day was the Sabbath day. Well, of course that becomes a big deal because you're not supposed to carry things on the Sabbath day, according to their traditions and so on. So uh, they're asking the man, who, why are you doing this? And he says, oh, the guy who healed me told me to do it. And they're like, who was that? And he said, I don't know. Um, and uh, then uh, we, we get, uh, eventually they catch up to Jesus. Uh, we get verse 15, the man departed and told the Jews when, when he does learn that it's Jesus, uh, he told the Jews, and I'm going to emphasize again, that when John says the Jews, what he means is the leaders of the Jews, and that's primarily the Sanhedrin and primarily the Sadducees, but uh, that's who he means. So he tells these leaders of the Jews that it was Jesus, and my guess is that that this group has to be some of the Pharisees, so probably from the, the school of Shammai, but uh, just because of their emphasis on Sabbath day worship, um, that's my guess as to who this particularly is. Um, and uh, he tells them it's Jesus. And therefore, the Jews, uh, again, I think in particular that these uh, Pharisees from the school of Shammai, I don't know that, but that's putting two and two together, and it typically answers four uh, or equals four. So they start to persecute Jesus and slay him because he'd done that. And then Jesus responds to them, and he says, my father worketh hitherto, and I work. Now, they don't like this uh, for two reasons. One, he's equating God as his father. Um, and two, he's equating himself with it. It's one thing for the father to work on the Sabbath, and there's this uh, notion that, that God 
is uh, doing things on the Sabbath, not on the very first Sabbath, but after that. But he's saying that he also can work on the Sabbath. So he's equating himself. He's both being the son of God and uh, equating himself, uh, putting himself on the same level as God, which is not what uh, anyone else, no one else can work on the Sabbath because God works on the Sabbath, that kind of a thing. So he's certainly raising himself to a different level, and that makes them want to kill him more. Um, and that's why you get, it says at the end of verse 18, he, he said also that God was his father and made himself equal with God, right? Both of those things. But now look at the Savior's answer. And this is where this gets really profound. And here in chapter five, this theme that we're going to see develop, I think, is stated right here in this verse in some ways more plainly than anywhere else. Then answered Jesus and said unto them, Verily, verily, I say unto you, the Son can do nothing of himself but what he seeth the Father do. So what things soever he doeth, these also doeth the Son likewise. This is incredibly profound. We are going to find that the Savior again and again and again deflects attention away from himself and to the Father. So just as Christ is the light that we are to hold up, we're never about bringing attention to ourselves. It's about bringing attention to Christ. We bring people to Christ so that he can bring them to the Father. So he is going to take that attention from him and put it on the Father. And that's a really important theme. But it goes beyond that because he's also saying that he doesn't do anything that isn't what the Father would do were he there. That they are so unified in, in purpose, but also in attributes, desires, and characteristics that Christ doesn't do anything he doesn't see the Father do. So this reminds me of a talk, and I'm not going to post it in the notes here or quote from it here because I intend to quote from it in a, a future um, short cast, but it's a talk by Elder Holland where he says one of the primary purposes of the Son is to, is to reveal the Father to us. And one of the ways he reveals the Father to us is by acting like the Father. This is so key. It's so important. As you study the life of Christ, what you are really doing, is, you're, you're, you're learning about the characteristics or the attributes of the Son, but that means what you're really doing is learning about the characteristics or the attributes of the Father. And that's not true, let's be clear, just in the Gospels where we see Christ's mortal ministry, because he has lots of roles and attributes that aren't, uh, we don't see appear in his mortal ministry as uh, things that, that go beyond what he does in his mortal ministry. So as we study who Christ is throughout all of Scripture— uh, and this is the idea behind the course that was created, Christ in the Everlasting Gospel, one of the required courses if you take seminary, I mean, institute or, or religion classes at BYU. Um, the purpose is to get to know Christ in all of its roles the way it's presented throughout all of Scripture, in the Old Testament, the Pearl of Great Price, the Doctrine and Covenants, the Book of Mormon, and the New Testament. And as you do that, you're coming to know the Father and what the Father is like. That is incredibly profound and important to realize, because if we are going to take our cue from the Son— we should be putting more of our emphasis on the Father. I'm not trying to take away from Jesus Christ, but I think that sometimes we we don't talk about and think about and focus on the Father enough and taking the cues that we will continue to take as we follow this theme through John. I don't think that's what Christ would have us do. Let's recognize that it's God that we love above all. With all our heart, might, mind, and strength, we love God. And we need to know who God is, and we learn who God is because as we learn about the Son, we learn about the Father. Verse 20, for the Father loveth the Son and showeth him all things 
that himself doeth. So it says sheweth, but it's actually pronounced sheweth in case anyone's wondering. Sheweth him all things that himself doeth, and he will show him greater works than these that ye may marvel. Now let's note also here this, this, uh, this word that we're looking at here, that where he says work, is not the work. You remember uh, in an earlier episode, I, I mentioned that John uses a different word for miracle that, that uh, really means like a sign, um, a, a great sign. Um, and that's not the word that's used here. This is the word ergon, which, uh, or, or ergon, which means um, a, a work, an occupation or something like that. So let's learn from that. Okay. So uh, verse 20 again, for the father loveth the son and showeth him all things that he himself doeth. So emphasizing again, God has shown Christ who he is, what he does. And so that's what Christ does. And he will show him greater works than these that you may marvel. The, the works there is, that's, that's not the word for sign, that's the word for occupation. This is what Christ's occupation, this is what his business, that's another word for it, his business. This is what his business is. So remember when he says, uh, wish ye not that I must be about my father's business, right? That's what he's talking about here. He will show him greater business, Christ's business, his work, what his job, his occupation, what he is, what he does, is the doer of what the father does the beer of what the Father is. That's what Christ does. And that will cause us all to marvel. That's wonderful stuff. And then in case we're not clear on this, he says the Father raises up the dead, and so the Son will also do that. He has the ability, well, look at what it says in verse 22, for the Father judges no man, he committed all judgment unto the Son. Remember what we've spoken about judgment. This isn't saying the Father doesn't say whether someone is good or bad, or so on. He's saying, He's given leadership, direction over mankind. After the fall, he's given leadership and direction over mankind to the Son. So he directs the Son. The Son directs us. It will become the Son directs the apostle and prophets and so on, and they will direct us and so on. Um, uh, and he has given the Son power to quicken, meaning to bring back to life, but also to bring back to spiritual life who we will. We are separated from God, but Christ will quicken or bring us life again. And the, why? Verse 23, that all men should honor the Son, even as they honor the Father. He that honoreth not the Son, honoreth not the Father, which hath sent him, right? This, this incredible unity. So this unity of the Godhead is going to be such an incredible theme here on out. And we want to recognize what he's saying. If you honor the Father, you honor the Son. If you honor the Son, you honor the Father. You fail to honor one of those, you fail to honor both because they are the same. Not the same being, but the same in every other way. And Christ only does what the, the Father does. So as we come to know Christ, we come to know the Father. Uh, it's beautiful stuff. Uh, let's look at verse 26. For as the Father hath life in himself, the Father has the power to have life and everything about it, even more abundantly, right? To, to truly has life. It is native and innate to him because of the kind of being he is. So hath he given to the Son to have life in himself. Christ has that power because the Father gave it to him, just like he has the power to bring life because the Father gave it to him. Uh, it's beautiful stuff. He goes on to teach a little bit more about resurrection and life and so on. Um, now let's look at verse 30. I can of mine own self do nothing, right? He, Christ doesn't. He only does the Father's will. That's the only thing he does. There is no doing his own will. They have the same will. Their wills are completely reconciled, and they have the same will. And so he doesn't do anything of himself. He only does what the Father would have him do. As I hear, implied from the Father, 
I judge and my judgment is just. Think again what we talk about with what judgment really means. Because I, his judgment is just because I seek not mine own will, but the will of the Father which hath sent me. What an incredible model. Remember that one of the reasons Christ came in mortality was to set the example for us, to be our exemplar. We should emulate him. And this is one of the ways we should emulate him. Quit seeking our own will and seek his will, which means we're seeking the will of the Father. Then we get into verse 31. If I bear witness of myself, my witness is not true. There is another that beareth witness of me, and I know that the witness which he witnesseth of me is true. Now notice how in some ways, uh, John is turning this into a, a court case, as it were, and uh, he's talking about witnesses. We're going to see him talking about testimony and and uh, so on as he goes along. So he is uh, setting this up as a court case in some ways, but he's making sure that we recognize the, the witnesses. Now, we will only barely, barely touch on this here when we get to uh, the Book of Mormon year, and we do 2 Nephi 31. I'll talk on this more in depth, but the idea that the doctrine of Christ includes that the Father and the Son and the Holy Ghost bear witness of each other. I'll just for now say you go read 2 Nephi 31 and 32 more closely, and 3 Nephi 11 and 2, uh, 3 Nephi 27, and you'll see that that's part of the doctrine of Christ. We often uh, truncate what Christ tells us is the, the doctrine of Christ. In any case, it, part of it is that they bear witness of each other, and we have that going on here. That the Father has borne witness of the Son, and the Holy Ghost has borne witness of the Son, and they bear witness of each other. Um, and uh, he talks about uh, John and so on. We, you sent unto John, and he bear witness unto the truth. But I receive not testimony. So here's where we're getting that. We've got witnesses and testimony. I receive not testimony for man, but these things I say that ye might be saved. He was a burning and a shining light. He's talking about John the Baptist and uh, the baptism, which is when God bore witness of Christ, right? Uh, uh, but I receive not testimony from man, but these things I say that ye might be saved. He was a burning and shining light, and ye were willing for a season to rejoice in his light. But I have greater witness than that of John. Now, note what we, we get here. He's going to teach us how, besides John and besides what the Father said when he was baptized, how there is more uh, that bears witness or testimony of him as he's setting up this case. So we're going to look at, at uh, how it continues on here when he says the works. And again, this is erga is the word uh, here. It comes from the word ergon, uh, and you get it twice in this verse. The works, so it's not the the semion, the, the like signs, but it's really talking about it in that way. The works which the Father hath given me to finish, the same works that I do bear witness of me that the Father hath sent me. So the business which he will do, the, the occupation which he will do, bears witness of him. And of course, elsewhere he is talking about Simeon uh, or the signs that, that bear witness of him. So let's talk about that for a moment. Um, John is the one of the, 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 and we've talked about this before, but the synoptic writers, Matthew, Mark, and Luke, when they use a word that is, is miracle, they use the word uh, dynamis, which means like powerful work. And so it's, it's miracles, a good way to translate it. Um, but John uses the, a different word that is typically Simeon, this idea that it's, it's a sign of him. And so he will choose some, he doesn't talk about as many miracles as Matthew, Mark, and Luke do, but he chooses some specific miracles. People often categorize it as seven specific miracles. That's a very symbolic number. And that's why you're going to get, and I even uh, questioned about this when I was in the podcast with Andy Skinner and said, why is he saying this is the second miracle? Clearly he's done more miracles, but this is why, because John is choosing seven specific miracles that will be semi or signs of who Christ is. 
and that he has sent from the Father. All right. Uh, and so those bear witness of him, and it is his work or his job or his occupation to do the Father's will, and that will include these signs that bear witness of him. But note how he says the, the works which the Father hath given me to finish. Well, what does he finish? He finishes uh, resurrection and exaltation, immortality and eternal life. That's going to be the greatest of the signs, is that he actually finishes the work the Father sent him to do. And that will bear witness of him more than anything else. So you'll have all these signs along the way, but the resurrection will be the greatest sign of all. But there are signs along the way. We're back to this, verse 37. The Father himself, which has sent me, hath borne witness of me. You neither heard my voice at any time, nor seen his shape, and so on. We're going we're gonna to keep moving, um, although we could spend uh, forever on this. Um, we're going to get into, at the end of this chapter, he's talking about Moses. Uh, do not think that I will accuse you. So, no, we're still in the... the uh, trial kind of a thing here, right? So we've had witnesses and testimony, now accusations. Uh, I will accuse you to the Father. There is one that accuseth you, even Moses, in whom you trust. So Moses uh, and the laws of Moses, he's going to say that uh, that they're not really keeping this, and so this is uh, breaking the law of Moses, uh, or, or, or they're going to be accused by Moses. But in a way, he's transitioning here because he's going to talk a lot about Moses for a while, and and Christ is the second Moses. Uh, we're going to see him continuing with that as we go on, but but he, Moses is accusing them, and he says if they'd believed Moses, they would have believed him, uh, and so on. So now, let's go on to the next things that happen. Uh, we get, uh, he's, he's at the Sea of Galilee, and there are multitudes which follow him, and uh, we've already talked about this in, in the when I was talking with Lamar. It's the Passover and the feeding of the 5,000 and so on. But I want you to think of this in this different way that, that uh, John is setting this up. Uh, because one of the things that Moses is known for is uh, bringing a couple times quails, but, but mostly manna. It's really, of course, God that did it. And we're going to see him say that. Um, but, but it's associated with Moses. So now that we're on to this whole Moses thing, uh, the next thing John talks about is, first of all, Passover. That's associated with Moses. And then he's going to talk about miraculously supplying food or bread for a multitude as Moses did, right? And, and so that happens. And then he's going, there, he's going to have his disciples leave. And then Christ is going to come to them. He's not going to part the water as Moses did. He's going to walk on the water, but it's kind of a similar thing. Um, and then this is when uh, everyone comes to find him. And and uh, they want to know how he got, where he's going. He's come to Capernaum, to the synagogue. They want to know why. And part of it, the reason they want uh, to, to be with him is because if we read in verse 26, so this is John chapter 6, Jesus answered them and said, Verily, verily, I say unto you, you seek me not because you saw the miracles, but because you did eat of the loaves and were filled. So he says, you're hungry and you want me to feed you again. Well, I can't fully blame them. They're on a long journey and and so on. So I don't uh, blame them for wanting food. Uh, I'm always hungry, so I can see that they uh, why they would want that. But note how he takes this and turns it into a teaching situation. Verse 27, labor not for the meat which perisheth, but for that meat which, meat which endureth unto everlasting life, which the Son of Man shall give unto you. For him hath God the Father sealed. Now he's going to get back into talking about him and, and the Father again. 
Um, and and he's starting to talk about the symbolism of bread. So this is something they'd be familiar with, right? Moses says, man shall not live by uh, bread alone, but by every word that proceeds from the mouth of God. So we uh, that's, we know they know that verse. The Savior's used it in resisting Satan, but, but people are familiar with that. And note that John has already equated Christ with being the word, and the word is equated with bread. So that's been set up a little bit by John already. So now we get... Um, uh, after he says that, verse 28, they said unto him, what shall we do that we might work the works of God? Now, this is, again, the, coming from the word ergon and erga and so on. Um, the, this idea that they are going to do, they're asking, how can we be occupying? He's just talked about how he does the occupation or the business of God. And now they're asking, how can they be about this same business? How can they be about the Father's business? All right, so this seems like a... a, a reasonable question given all that he's been talking about so now we go on to verse 29 jesus answered and said unto them this is the work of god that ye believe on him whom he hath sent so know how he's now changing this his work is to do god's work their work is to believe in him and do what he tells them this is this kind of line we've talked about a number of times god sends the son the son sends apostles and prophets they send us and so on and we all bring them to christ so that Christ can bring them to the Father. So their work is to believe on the Son and do what he says. Uh, and then they said unto him, What sign showest thou then that we may see and believe thee? What dost thou work? So now we finally get into this sign business that we've been talking about in, in verse 30 where it says, What sign? This is the semion sign or word. What sign showest thou then? And then we get back to erga at the end of the verse, so uh, that we should believe you. So what's the, the the work that you do that's a sign? And then they ask, and what is your occupation? And now look how they are tying it back into Moses themselves. Our fathers did eat manna in the desert. He gave them bread from heaven to eat. And Jesus said unto them, verily, verily, I say unto you, Moses gave you not that bread, but my father giveth you the true bread from heaven. So not only did the, did his father give them the manna, but the manna was a symbol of Christ. And what God is really giving them is Christ. And so you can see how he's continuing to talk about his relationship with them or with the father, but also with them. And that's what really all of this is about and what this will be about in John again and again and again is the, the son's relationship with the father and how that needs to translate into our relationship with the son. And eventually we'll all be invited into the same relationship together. So as we keep going, um, verse 33, for the bread of God is he which cometh down from heaven and giveth life unto the world. That is clearly Christ. They said unto him, but they're they're not seeing that yet. It's easy for us to see, and partially because we, I mean, we've taken the sacrament. This is we we know who Christ is and all this stuff. They're still figuring this out. And they said unto him, Lord, evermore give us this bread. So this seems to be they're still wanting. Maybe they're thinking symbolically, but I think they're talking largely. Feed us. Um, and Jesus said unto them, I am the bread of life. He that cometh to me shall never hunger, and he that believeth on me shall never thirst. So you've got two different things: the coming. And the believing, and it's kind of like bread and and water and and uh, waters of life and bread of life and so on and so on. And I'm not going to explore that in depth because I think it's something that we we get and hopefully we get it as we think of the sacrament and all sorts of other things. But I I hope that we think of it in this way. You know, when I was young, I was taught, "You are what you eat," and that's literally true. 
uh, what you eat. We break those things down and the cells of our body are composed of the things that we've eaten. Uh, some things are, uh, that we had when we were younger, the result of what our mother ate. But I think at this point, my body has been renewed enough that probably there's not anything that is in me that is not coming from what I ate. And that needs to be true. Uh, well, it is true spiritually. So the question is, what are you consuming spiritually? And you have to partake of Christ and his atoning sacrifice. And as you do that, you become something different. And when you have partaken of him in that way and deeply, you become Christ-like. It will happen a bit at a time, but eventually you will become fully Christ-like. And that's what we're talking about as we're talking about being born again and being like him, like he is like the Father. And that's what this is really about. Um, let's, let's go down to verse 37. All that the Father giveth me shall come to me, and him that cometh to me I will in no wise cast out. So we're seeing that even what Christ does, he only does because the Father has given it to him to do, but, but the Father has given him to save some of us. And again, verse 38, for I came down from heaven not to do mine own will, but the will of him that sent me. Again, teaching it so plainly, that unity and his subservience to the Father, the kinds of things that uh, Benedict teaches us, right? And this is the Father's will which hath sent me, that of all which he hath given me, I should lose nothing, but should raise it up again at the last day. Now, I mean, of course, he's going to be raised up, but then that gives him the ability to raise us up. Uh, and you see how beautiful this is and how, and I want you to start noticing, sorry, we had this theme a couple times in the early chapters and there are a few chapters without it in John, but starting with chapter five, I believe you're going to find it in every single chapter uh, for the rest of the book of John, this theme of Christ doing the Father's will and their unity and their relationship with each other and how that spills over into us and our relationship with Christ that can create our relationship with the Father and we should be having that relationship with the Father. Um Verse 40, and this is the will of him that sent me, that everyone which seeth the Son and believeth on him may have everlasting life, and I will raise him up at the last day. This is just such important and beautiful stuff. Um, and let's do uh, verse 44. No man can come to me except the Father which hath sent me draw him, and I will raise him up at the last day. You see how he just keeps coming back to this again and again and again. Uh, that we have to to become unified with Christ by partaking of who he is and his atoning power and, and his grace and his sacrifice. And then that will enable us to become one with the Father. And that's the purpose of all of this from the beginning, is to have that higher relationship with God. Uh, that's why he's going to say in verse 51, I am the living bread which came down from heaven, and if any man eat of this bread, he shall live forever. And the bread that I will give is my flesh, which I will give for the life of the world. And that becomes very difficult for them to understand. Um, and as if that's not difficult enough, he's going to say uh, in verse 53, Verily, verily, I send you, except you eat the flesh of the Son of Man and drink his blood, you have no life in you. Now, uh, it's against the law of Moses, but even pre-law of Moses, from the time of Noah, God says that you should not partake of blood. You can't eat meat that has blood in it. You're not supposed to drink blood. Blood, you should not be drinking blood. So this is a crazy thing for them to hear, that he says, you both eat the flesh and drink my blood. That that's just goes against everything that they've heard. And so he's really trying to, to shake them out of how they usually think of things and see what he's trying to teach them. So that we get to verse 54, whoso eateth my flesh and drinketh my blood hath eternal life, and I will raise him up at the last day. So he's just been saying he that's his job. 
His work, his occupation is to do the Father's will, and the Father's will is to take the people the Father gives him and raise them up. And how does he do that? Well, those people have to partake of his flesh and his blood, something they are not going to understand fully until he's instituted the sacrament and he has died and been resurrected. And I can't really blame them for not fully getting this. It's so much easier for us to see it in retrospect, but I hope we are seeing it in retrospect. That Christ's work is to make himself the kind of being through his atoning sacrifice that as we partake of him, as we partake of his grace, his atoning power, that we are changed until we are the kinds of beings that are unified with him so that he can then help us be unified with the Father. Look for that theme. He's going to continue to develop it throughout all of the rest of the book of John. And he's going to keep hammering on this, you know, for my flesh is meat indeed and my blood is drink indeed. And verse 57, as the living father hath sent me and I live by the father. So again, his power comes from the father. It's not his in and of himself. It is from the father. I live by the father. And in the same way that he has life, that the father has given him life and power and ability and made him who he is and given him all of that. So he that eateth me, even he shall live by me. What God, the Father does for the Son, the Son will do for us, and then we all are unified together. Fantastic stuff. Um, and, of course, this is the part that, that gets us to where it's difficult for them because they want a king, not someone who tells them to eat flesh and blood. They want someone who will feed them and free them from the Romans and so on. Uh, they don't want this, this kind of abstract nonsense. And so many of them will go away and walk no more with them. And as, as we talked about when uh, in the episode with Lamar, you have to ask yourself, is that going to be you at any given point? Does he say something that is, is too difficult for you? And, and think about that in these terms now. If he is asking you, if he is saying, first of all, I only do what the Father does, I think in essence he's saying, and, and, and the Father's will is, I think he's saying, I think like the Father thinks, I feel like the Father feels, I do what the Father would do. And then he says, now you do what I do, think what I think, want what I want, feel what I feel, and then we find ourselves sometimes uh, being told by those whom he sends, prophets and apostles, something that we say, well, Nope, that is not what I think they should be saying. That's not what I think they should be saying. I should think or feel or want. Uh, they're telling me different things than what I think I should feel or want. Then we are walking away from him, like those who heard this synagogue and walked away and, and walked with him no more. That's the question. Uh, and he asked that question, will you also go away, as we talked about with Lamar? Um, but I hope you're seeing it in even a little bit of a different light. I, th I think Lamar said it so powerfully, and so I'm not going to, to retread that, but I, I want you to think of it in terms of uh, are you truly partaking of Christ and becoming Christ-like through his power so that that allows you to have this unification with God, and you do that partially through the people whom he sends, his prophets and apostles. Are you doing that, or are you walking away? And if you're walking away, remember where else are you going to go, as Peter asks? Because eternal life only comes this one way, by coming to Christ who will bring you to the Father, because he is literally the expression not only of the Father's will, but of the Father's being, the way the Father is. And I am so grateful for that and grateful that he teaches us this.